Caitlin just Caitlin just dropped some science. So you guys probably thought, oh, Dylan's not here. There's not going to be any science. And Caitlin just dropped a lot of science right on us. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and today I'm joined by Ignition co-founder Drew Dillman, as well as first-time guest and fellow Ignition coach, Caitlin Maddox. The topic this week is pre-race preparation. So you've put in all the work, now it's time to make sure you show up ready to race come race day. This topic is covered in more of an open conversation format, so each of us uh, just kind of weigh in from personal experience as athletes and as coaches. Uh, It turned out to be a really fun conversation, and we really enjoyed having Caitlin on the show this week. As always, if you like what you hear, share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you want us to cover a specific training-related topic in a future episode, drop an email to info at ignitioncoachco.com with the email title, The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. Hey, what's up, guys? Hello. Whoa. Female voice in the house. We got our first <laughs> guest on the show. Uh, so today with us, we've got Caitlin Maddox, who's a, a fellow Ignition Coach Co. Uh, cycling coach. Uh, she's going to be joining us for the show today. We've also got myself and then Drew Dillman. Uh, so we're missing our usuals, Andrew and Dylan. Um, we've got three of us today. Uh, we're going to do a little intro with, with Caitlin to start with, um, and then we're going to get into the topic of the day, which is pre-race preparation, everything that goes into uh, kind of making sure you're ready for, for race day after you've done all the work leading up to it. Uh, so first, let's, let's get into Caitlin a little bit. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you come from, and what, what your story is? A little elevator pitch? Sure. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I am humbled and honored to be Dylan Johnson's backup any day. <laughs> so, but, he's not, he's yeah, not that important. I, so this is definitely an upgrade. Oh, cool. Well, and also he bashed me because I missed last week, so... My number one goal for today's episode is to make fun of Dylan as much as possible since he's not here. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm into it. Uh, yeah. So I guess where to start? I ran on my life, middle school, high school, pretty much every season, cross country, indoor, outdoor track, eventually ran in college, but, you know, was always getting hurt. So your classic washed up runner turned cyclist bit. <laughs> um Eventually I found the bike and, you know, being an endurance athlete, being a runner, the reason I would do it was to be out in nature, push my body and see beautiful things. And once I found the bike, I was like, wait, I can go further and let's say go harder because I was horribly inefficient when I started (laughs) and see twice as much like no brainer. So kind of went off the deep end and uh, started working at a local bike shop to afford a nice bike and once I shout out to that bike shop, because eventually my husband walked in. <laughs> um, that's another story. But yeah, I entered my first race, which was Shenandoah 100 and was obviously so slow because I hadn't added much structure at that point to my training, but then graduated with a degree in exercise science and started structuring my training. And I worked for Endurance Collective under Ben Turret's and learned so much from him. Super grateful for that opportunity. He's a great coach, great human being, and um, made me a lot faster. And I've been able to pick up what I learned from him and and use it with ignition. So, yeah, I 
uh, was simultaneously working as a personal trainer also at a local gym. I had my CSCS, which is a certification certified strength and conditioning specialist and kind of got stingy with my population. I wanted to work with athletes. I wanted to work with people that were motivated and driven to pursue like these specific goals and just wasn't getting fulfilled with that with the, you don't really see that in the general population. So, um, I was looking to grow my clientele and came across of course, Dylan Johnson's videos and what he and, and drew built up was pretty incredible. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of that, you know, fairly fresh out of college doing my own research projects in the human performance lab. Here's this guy who values the same things I do and um, evidence-based training supported and backed by a scientific research study. Yeah. I love everything about that. How do I join? So that's awesome. That brought me to ignition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Caitlin was the first person to ever apply for, I think for our job, like for our application, I'm pretty sure. Um, which was pretty cool. I was like, oh, all right, good. That thing on their website does work. <laughs> but Caitlin's to- cool. She like totally fits the bill for like what Ignition Coach Co. exists for. Like an up and coming racer who wants to coach, who has all of this knowledge about training and lifting and uh, just racing and, and in general. And she wants to get better herself. And so we try to, with Ignition Coach Co., we try to mold those things two together. Like coaching and racing go hand in hand. And uh, I think Caitlin does a great job at that. And I think Caitlin is really good at talking to people, which makes for a very good oh, coach. Because, um, yeah, I mean, like a part of being a coach is is encouraging people. And Caitlin does a great job at that. Well, let me get sappy for a minute. So joining Ignition, the Ignition family is one of the, I think, one of the best things that happened for my career. And people should know that when they hire one of us as their coach, it feels like they're getting all of us in a way, because although we bring our unique background and our unique coaching philosophies to the table, we're all like on these Thursday calls every week and we're all growing together and learning from each other. And it's a beautiful thing. For those of you who don't know, every Thursday we have a company-wide Ignition Coach Co. coaches call. So that's what Caitlin was talking about. We just get on and some of it's like race banter and and me making fun of Dylan. And, but, uh, and then some of the conversation is actually like <laughs> educational where we'll, we'll talk about uh, a topic. So like last week, our educational topic was biomes, human biomes, which was an interesting one from what I heard. So yeah, just to give you a little bit of insight. Yeah. May- maybe, a, maybe a little teaser for a future episode. Yeah. Uh, so, so I want to mm-hmm. get back into this. So your first race was the Shenandoah 100. <laughs> give our oh, listeners yeah. a little insight into what that race entails. Cause that's, that's nothing to, to just gloss over. Like that's a, that's an intense race. Yeah. It's arguably one of the hardest mountain bike races on the East coast. It's a hundred miles. They have recently added a 100 K, which is becoming pretty popular, but if you're going to do it, you got to do the classic hundred miles. There's a lot of really gnarly single track climbing, some really long descents. It's, beautiful it's just outside of harrisonburg in a beautiful part of virginia in the blue ridge mountains it's it's gnarly a lot of people the first year i did it you never know what to expect stokesville it rains 
they get so many pop-ups and the conditions were pretty rough. So I was, to be honest, a lot of people thought that I wouldn't be able to finish my longest ride leading up to that point was the 35 miles that I had done one day. And they were like, yeah, you can't finish. I don't, I don't know about it. And so I was like, all right, all right, let me, let me go do this. And and finished. And there were a lot of people that DNF to that year. Um, but I looked at the end of the day, I saw the podium and I was like, in three years, I'm going to be up there. And then sure enough, went back last year and, and took fourth. Nice. So this is the year, this is the year that I'm, I'm hoping to pull out something. When, when good. does that race usually take place? Uh, the first weekend in September. Okay. So typically second or third of September. Awesome. Um, okay, so, so Drew, the, I think you, I don't think you were so, listening, but we're gonna do a quick five question, like rapid fire with Caitlin. Oh, uh, okay. All right. And off the cuff, Let's go. I didn't prep these questions at all, so you can. I'll, I'll oh, take okay. a couple of them, and you can take a couple of them. All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, birthplace. Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. Go ahead, Drew. Favorite color. <laughs> That's all I can think of. <laughs> like a good oh, autumn good. didn't know that okay uh favorite pair of running shoes you've ever owned mm. oh the saucony peregrine their trail running shoe and they have like a really their high cushion have a really nice reverse tread i have those mm. yeah they are great yeah su- okay. super super good traction i have a good one you can tell a lot by somebody by this question. In no particular order, your top three favorite movies. Oh come on! I have my I have my list already. Like it's preconceived, and I have it ready to go. It's a Wonderful Life is number one. Never seen it. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's a classic. It's typically like considered a Christmas That's movie, what I thought. but it's it's. Oh, I it's, actually hate Christmas. <laughs> I'm on. I totally hate Christmas. (laughs) I love going to church. That's probably the only reason I like Christmas. Everything else about Christmas, I don't like. Not to be the Grinch, but um, yeah, that's very bad. Yeah, sorry. Don't like that either. (laughs) Um. All right. So we got one. First, first two movies that come come to. No, no, they have to be good, Adam. Don't pressure her. Well, yeah, but it, your first two movies or three movies that come to mind should be some of your favorites, right? Oh, yeah. In that case, it was Top Gun and The Big right. Short. Oh, those are good ones. Isn't The Big Short like about yeah. the housing fall? Yeah, yeah that would be really one good. of your yeah, favorite movies. It's so good. It's so good. I haven't I mean, seen a lot, the other a lot one of people made a lot either. of money during that time. What was the other one? It's very eye-opening. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. Darn. What? You've never I've seen been Top Gun? I've been, okay, I've been meaning to Whoa. watch that one, and I haven't yet. Sorry. Okay, well, that is I'm a curious. real classic. There's so many other. There's so many other Now I'm really curious. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, so good. Okay, so you're kind of like an old-school classic kind of gal. Can we get... Yeah, I want to know Adam's now too. <laughs> Adam, what are your top three favorite movies? Um, so I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan. So mm. yeah, you have um, said that. Gosh, I, I mean, pretty much all of them could be Adam Sandler films if I if I really thought hard. But I would say like Big Daddy is probably mm. my favorite all time 
Adam that Sandler film. So good. So CJ good. can't stand Adam Sandler, and she really liked that one. So that yeah. says a lot. That I mean, yeah, he was kind of like prime time there. Mm-hmm. Um, like super funny, but still like pretty serious at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of his best. Uh, I mean, Top Gun's really good too, but I don't know if I would make top three. That'd maybe be like top five or top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say. Um, oh gosh, what's I can't. I just. I just lost the name. Um, uh, and it can't be. No, no, no. It is. It is. It's. It's. Um. It's this. Uh, it's this film about the like uh, Navy SEALs or no, not Navy SEALs. Like um, National Guard. Um, Kevin Costner's in it, and I love Kevin Costner. Oh, The Guardian um, with Ashton Guardian, Kutcher. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I good. I love Ashton. Kutcher. Love that film. Um, Ashton Kutcher is one of my favorite too. Yeah. Um, and then third. Gosh, three is really hard. That was like already three. three. Five all, well, that was only... Oh, well, Top I mean, Gun. Did, you I said, said Top, Top Gun, Gun wasn't going to make it. <clears throat> I mean, okay. it, could, it could fit in there. Three to five is tough. Like, those all kind of okay. depends on the moment, you know? All right. Let's um, hear it. Who's going to get the last one, the last podium spot? Ooh, gosh, the, the third one. So, we've got... Uh, hmm... I know. Yeah. I don't know. Three is hard. We'll just, uh, we'll go with Top Gun. That's fine. That's, I I could watch that film anytime. Dang. Two people here say Top Gun. So I'm going to have to definitely watch it now. All right. What you got, Drew? All right. Good. I was hoping you'd ask. (laughs) (laughs) You said you already had yours on hand. I know for, for sure. My first one is Chariots of Fire, which again, old school, very boring, but very good. And it's based on a true story. If you haven't seen it, it's about this guy named Eric Little, who was a Christian runner back in the 1920s, who won the Olympic gold medalist. Hmm. Um, oh, I know what one of your favorites is, because I think it would be one of your favorites, because you made us watch it at camp. I do like that, but no, it's not one of my tops. Ooh. She's referencing <laughs> Cinderella Man, which if you're going to watch a movie the night before a race... That's on it. That's probably a different category, and Cinderella Man is on that category. Is on that list, but no. And Rudy, so is on I, that I list would, too. I would actually, that. on that note, I would probably replace Top Gun with Miracle. Mm. Just mm. like one of those like super inspirational, Classic. awesome films. Yeah. So you got yeah. Chariots of Fire. Um, oh man, why am I blinking right now? I just had it in my mind. And now I'm blanking. But I know that for the third one is the, oh, wait, wait, Braveheart, Braveheart. Sorry. Okay. Yes. With Mel Gibson. Classic. That's a classic. And then my, and then I guess it's a true man's movie. I feel like. Uh, I don't know about that. Man, a lot of people say that it's like a, there's a love story built in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's solely a love story, but like, I feel like men reference that movie a lot. Braveheart. Oh, you just need, you need to go see it. It's great. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like the, the default for like if you ever ask a, a dude what his favorite Christmas film is, they're like, oh, it's Braveheart. Christmas? Yep. What? What's that got anything to do with Christmas? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the first five, like the first 10 minutes. I don't know how long it takes, but something terrible happens in the first 10 minutes. And then the rest of the movie is like basically revenge but it's pretty terrible at the beginning it gets way better anyways and then the third is like a split tie but i'm gonna say both of them is either hercules the cartoon (laughs) or 42 
with about Jackie Robinson. Well, 42, Jackie oh, that is a good one. A yeah, one. that is good. So there, yeah, you there lost you go. me with the cartoons, man. Can't, Hercules can't do is it. A classic, like that's that's like the one so Adam, Adam Sandler film I can't do is uh, eight. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, that eight crazy really, nights or whatever. It's a cartoon. Really, I'm just like really, really. Come bad. on, I, I'm just not a cart- cartoon guy. Um, all right, a rapid fire just slowed down a yeah. bit. But all right, back to so, it. So, yeah, let's get yeah. back into it. So uh, what was that, like question number four? <clears throat> yep. Uh, okay, so last one. Um, what's what's your favorite bike that you currently own? Like your go-to. Like you just get super giddy when you get on this bike. Scott Spark. Cool. Good, good call. I mean, it's such a good – I don't have a gravel bike, so I've done a few gravel events on it. And it's rolled. I mean, we got it down to 22 pounds. Full suspension? Nice. Yeah. So I have another question. All right. Can what I, do you got? Ask it? it isn't rapid fire, but I think it'd be good. Worst athletic experience ever. <laughs> We're really going into the dungeon. Hey, it's, I don't have any bad ones. It's either win or learn, you know? Wow. <laughs> I'm glad I hired oh, this girl. I, She's I thought awesome. I thought that you were you were trying to reference her injury. You know, I thought that was no. Cruel. Was that a? Th- oh, I wouldn't exactly call that freak ski accident an athletic pursuit. Which, I mean, I guess so. No, yeah, I wasn't that referencing was that. Pretty okay. traumatic. I was hoping she'd say something like, "Oh my gosh!" In the middle of Shenandoah, there was a lion or a bear, and I don't know something, and it was raining and some epic story, but. Okay. Have you guys ever seen any wild mm-hmm. animals? Like, like I mean, not deer or anything, but like bears or mountain lions while racing? Yes. One year uh, I did Creature at Carbon's Cove, which is in Roanoke, Virginia. It's a really great race, but I was pretty dangerously, I felt dangerously close to a bear. I was probably like 30 feet away, really? but oh. still a little too close for comfort. It was a big boy too. Or a mom, either Hopefully way. Not a mom. Yeah, the moms I, are the dangerous ones. I've heard. Yeah, but I just looked, watched me, so I was like, "All right." Well. Last summer, I was on a group ride with some buddies, and a little baby deer ran out into the road and bounced off one of my buddy's legs. <gasps> like he was pedaling, and the and the and the deer kind of ran and then ran back into the forest. Yeah, I've crazy. had some close calls with with deer crossings, but no, like dangerous animals. Yep. All right, let's move on. Um, did anyone do any racing this past weekend? I know, Caitlin, you were down in Arkansas watching some racing. Yeah, my husband did the UCI race. Oh, he did? Back and forth about doing the Emmett. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. How did he do? Yeah, he hung. He got pulled the last lap. Yeah, hey, that's all right. He, uh, Those are big fields. He was going in. Yeah, he was going in sick, too. So the previous two weeks of training wasn't that great. But he did well. Okay. And of course, I just enjoyed the trails at Fayetteville and rode from Fayetteville via Greenway to Bentonville and then hit Bentonville trails. And that was such a cool day. Yeah. Was that your first time down in Bentonville? No, we had gone once before um, and did Kohler. Okay. Mountain Bike Preserve. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it's awesome down there. Uh, Drew, you said you didn't do any racing? Actually, I was, since I was on last week, I think two weeks ago, I referenced a little local crit that I was going to do and about how um, it was oh, going to yeah, be like Texas Crit. Roadhouse versus the Marion Riders. 
So I figured <laughs> I'd follow up on it because it was um, it's probably worth mentioning. So we got in a break of seven, and we had three riders in the break of seven, and Marion had three riders. But no, maybe it was a break of eight, and we had three and three. So it was like us against them, like we had pictured. And then me, another Roadhouse guy, and one Marion guy got off of that break, off the front of that. So now we're in a group of three, two Roadhouse guys, one Marion guy. And the Marion guy beat us. What? So <clears throat> it was pretty embarrassing. Um, it was a it was a pretty cool crit. It was like a, a, st- a gradual climb for half the race, and then you descended really quick and then did this really quick turn, and then the finish was not long after that. So my strategy was to uh, just to go ham on the on the uphill part because I'm not much of a sprinter, and I thought as long as I have any sort of a gap at the top of that hill, I can hold it to the line. And I did have like several bike lengths on the guy at the top of the hill, and he bridged it all on the downhill and into the last turn and passed me like not far before the line. So I was pretty upset. Um, and not to like, I, just to give you a reference, and this is more so to give kudos to the Marion kid, because I don't know what his power numbers were, but I know what mine were. And for the 30 seconds that it took me to climb that hill on the last lap, I averaged 950 watts for 30 seconds. So he had to not only average that, but he had to catch me after that. So his, and he was bigger than me. So he had to have averaged over a thousand Watts for that, for it's some, for some portion of the same time. So I was pretty impressed with, in him for a young, for a young kid. So, yeah. So was this like the Marion university, like their home crit race? Pretty much. Was it like, yep. was it like at like a school or something? It's uh it was supposed to be right on campus, but they, like the week of the race, they, uh, put in all these speed bumps on campus. Oh. And so we couldn't do the race over all these speed bumps. So they had to change the course last second to, um, there's the Marion university and about a half a mile down the road is the velodrome that they call the Indy cycloplex. And that's where they do the cyclocross race. They have a BMX track. They have the velodrome, the major Taylor velodrome. And so they just did the crit basically around the Indy Cycloplex. Um, it was about okay. a 0.7 mile course, I think. So it was a fun course. I, I liked it. It was the first time they had ever used that course, and I thought it was a good course. Cool. Yeah, I remember there were, um, when I was racing with DePaul University in the Midwest Cycling, Collegiate Cycling Conference, which I think you guys were into. Yep. Um, there were some good crick courses at, at some of the schools. Like mm-hmm. the, uh, I think it was Lindsey Wilson down in, Kentucky. Um, yeah, that's one that had like a pretty significant descent and then like a long climb back up to the finish or something. Um, I don't know. There, there were, there were some fun courses. Yeah. Uh, okay. What you're training for? Mm. Caitlin. Well, plans dramatically changed. I was hoping that this, year this season I was going to focus on the shorter XC higher intensity races and I had mentioned I broke my leg in December and had surgery and um, wanted to get into training as soon as possible and wanted to get race ready as soon as possible and kind of neglected some of the important foundational strength that I needed to rebuild in my leg and so 
entered in a little local XC race and kind of got a dose of reality. Um, my lower back was on fire because I don't have left, right power balance. So I couldn't tell, but I knew my right side was compensating so mm. much. So um, I'm just going to focus on the longer things like Shenandoah again. Um, but recently I had a friend say, who lives in Golden, Colorado, originally from where I am but moved out there to go to a school of mines. And she was like, Hey, how crazy would it be if, you know, we did tell you ride 100 in July. It's like, yes, (laughs) sign me up. So that is what I'm working towards. And I think that's going to fall in a really good spot being the end of July. So it'll be like a nice high altitude training block before Shenandoah in September. And then marathon mountain bike nationals in October. Cool. Nice. So since you'll be out in Colorado, in July, do you have any like inkling to go do XC Nats up in Winter Park, which is probably like a week or two before? Wait, um, oh, why you got to tell me these <laughs> things? I didn't even think about that. Wow. Um, that would be, it would be nice just to do it. It would be hard for me to get in the right mindset, um, having not focused on that style of racing this season so but with that being said i am still planning to do some of the local series stuff before then just to get some intensity but i don't know now it's on my (laughs) mind now that you mentioned it we'll see i was planning on going two weeks early so okay so actually two weeks early for uh acclimation protocol okay Mm -hmm. uh yeah we talked a little bit about that i think on the last show or maybe before the last show i don't remember if it made it into the show or not um, what, what's, I'm what's your kind of, um, a, what's your approach going to be for acclimating to that race? I'll stay with her in golden, um, which is probably about 5,000 5,500. Yeah. Close, close to 6,000. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I had done Breck Epic last summer and we flew into Denver and drove to Breck and instantly like went from 300 feet here in Virginia to like 9,000 feet and did a couple mellow rides. And then all of a sudden I got really sick. Like it really, really congested, wasn't sleeping well because I could not breathe through my nose whatsoever. And I think it was my sinus cavities, the pressure trying to adjust Mm. and then creating more, I guess, mucus. And that hung out for a long time. So I won't make that mistake again. I'll gradually... Was that, how long did it take for that to set in? Um, We were there probably five days before that really started to be an issue. Gotcha. And then it lingered. So so you'll go to Golden, kind of like adjust to, uh, you know, five or 6,000 feet and then work your way up from there. Yeah. And I I don't think Telluride is that high. I think, I think the course gets up there. I think, I think. Um, tell you ride is seated at 9,000 and that's the starting, that's the starting whoa. point. Cause it's right at the base of the San Juan mountains. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that high. There. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always going to be higher than Rick <laughs> pretty okay. much. It's, yeah. Is that a UCI race again this year? Do you know? I don't okay. know. I know it was last I year. Didn't know it was last year. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I heard it's awesome. Fast course, like for a hundred mile, uh, race that's at high elevation. Um, finish times were like quite fast. Like I think the winner, I think mm-hmm. Keegan went under six hours. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, I was. Um, I think there's a fair bit of single track, but also a lot of Jeep trail. And mm-hmm. you know, looking mm-hmm. at some of the finish times and seeing that people did that faster than Shenandoah, I was like, wow, <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. Yeah, how about you, Drew? Um, tomorrow night, actually, is <clears throat> the... Wait, what is today? Friday? Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow night is the Athens Twilight crit, so... Um, I'm not necessarily training for that. I'm more so training for Tulsa tough in about six weeks from now, I think. So, um, but Athens is such a big race. It's kind of like this week I've been like, Oh, how much priority do I give this, this race, even though I'm training for Tulsa. So, um, I still did a pretty hard workout this week. Uh, to give you an example, I did on Wednesday, I did some over-unders, some six minute over-unders. I've been playing around with, um, if you've been listening to the podcast, Andrew Jeanette several times has said sometimes less is more and he's been influencing me with that statement. So, (laughs) um, typically for my over unders, I'll do 12 minute intervals where I'm doing five minutes under and one minute over, or I'll do a nine minute interval where it's two minutes under one minute over. And those nine minute intervals are really hard trying to squeeze in three minutes of VO two in a nine minute effort. Um, so this week I played around with a six minute over unders, same structure as the nine minutes. So two minutes under one minute over and, uh, it went really good. I mean, I I felt really, really good for that workout. I I mean, obviously it's shorter. So I think the RPE was, was, or the perceived effort was quite a bit lower. So I think maybe that played a part in it, but I'm hoping that the shorter efforts, because I'm training for crit racing and not the Shenandoah 100, I think the shorter efforts will um, probably fit better for crit racing, like specific to crit racing. So, and so yeah, I'll do Athens this week. And then in six weeks, I'm going to do Tulsa. So I'm going to, I'm moving into a VO two block here in a week or two. And so then I'll just focus on VO two for, for the month of May going into those events. So, so Athens is tomorrow. Are you driving there? So, (laughs) uh, I'm driving to Indianapolis which is the opposite direction. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine is going to fly us down there. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was so going to say, cause I'll I feel like you need to get going. Yeah, I know. I was going to, my original plan was to drive today, but he called me literally like last weekend. I was like, Hey, I'm driving or I'm flying down to watch my son race and I've got extra spots. Do you want to fly down with me? And I'm like, absolutely. So I'm driving up <laughs> there and uh, flying down with him. And it's, I mean, I think we leave at 3 p.m. tomorrow. We're going to get there at 4 p.m. And I race at 8 p.m. So it's like... Dude, that's perfect. Dude, it's like plush. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. What about you? Uh, Yeah, so I I think I mentioned it last week or the week before. Uh, Recently hired a new coach in Andrew. Mm fellow co-host of the podcast. He's probably got um, you doing strength training like four days a week. No, dude, actually the opposite. <laughs> um, he, he wants me spending as much time on the bike, I think as possible. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of fitting in strength where I can. I'll be doing some strength after this today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny. So like when we first chatted, he was like, you know, asking me like, okay, you know, what kind of rider are you? What kind of efforts do you, you know, prefer to do? Like, do you, you know, are you good at, and what, what efforts are you not so good at? Like, what are your weaknesses? So I was like, well, I'm like pretty light and like have a 
you know, pretty good, like five minute power. I was like, but threshold work, like that's like my arch nemesis. Like I just, uh, like threshold repeats are like the death of me. Um, so lo and behold, what are we doing right now? Threshold work. (laughs) Mm, Good coach. Last last week started off with like four by eight minutes, uh, which went awesome. Like I I, I love eight minute efforts. Um, anything above that though is like, Mm. it gets real hard. Uh, then we, then we did like some four by twelves on Tuesday, uh, which went fine. Um, today though, like before this call, um, or before the show, I, he had me doing four by eights again, which I was stoked for until I looked and saw that there was only like two minute recovery between. Mm. And I've never done that before. I've always like fully recovered in between. Um, and that was like an ego hit for sure. Yeah. Cause I went from like, you know, first one was like three fifty. And by the last one, I like barely hit 310. Like I was like Mm. so far low end of threshold. It was like, it was hard. Um, Yeah, that's good. So yeah, I'm sure that was intentional for some reason. Uh, He he definitely figured out how to rein me in. Just just don't let me recover. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The real question is how do you handle 18 holes of golf after that? Well, yeah, so that's that's (laughs) the other aspect of what I'm training for. So um, kind of an immediate future on Monday... I have the local U S open qualifier, um, which is like stage one of qualifying for the U S open. So you got to like make it through stage one and then you go to like a regional qualifier. Um, it's really hard, um, to, to make it through, but, uh, we've got a local qualifier here in town. So, uh, I'll be hopping into that. So I've been like busting my butt on the golf course all week. And then like also trying to bust my butt on the bike. Um, so this has probably been like my hardest training week of the year so far. Um, I'll probably end up with like 14 or 15 hours of each, uh, this week. So like close to 30 hours of like total training time, which will be pretty, pretty heavy. Um, so yeah, body's like body's sore, body's tired. Um, mind is like fine. Like I'm still pretty motivated, but, uh, the weather's also been like pretty crummy, cold, rainy, windy, super windy lately. So I'm like kind of just getting beat down, but, um, pretty stoked though. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of ready to start getting back into competition season. It's been, uh, six weeks now since my last like race or any, any kind of competition. So just excited to get back into it. Uh, we also start our local training race series next Tuesday. So of the U S open qualifier Monday, then bike race Tuesday, then another bike race Saturday. And then it'll be kind of full, you know, full swing of things starting next week. So this is kind of like last preparation week without any, uh, any racing or, or competition or anything for a while. Man, I've never wanted to watch golf <clears throat> and I still don't really want to, but, but you're making me think about maybe wanting to watch golf. If you're going to be in this, in the, in the main golf thing, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, dude, I, it's, it, I'm a, I'm a long ways from, from being uh, on TV, man. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll let you know though if someday I uh, All right. see myself up there. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so let's let's get into the main topic. Uh, we've been recording for like half an hour now, and we got some stuff to talk about. So today we wanted to give everyone a little bit of insight, uh, kind of like coaches' pro tips here of like how to prep for your race. Um, this is kind of more like thinking uh, like in the acute uh, time span before, before your event, um, could be an A event, could be a B event, C event, doesn't really matter. Um, some of these things are just pretty standard practice that we want to make sure you guys, uh, you know, have a good routine built 
um, and, and are prepping in the right ways. So, you know, we're, we're kind of assuming you've done all the training up to this point, And now it's just like, you know, a couple days before, um, things you got to get together and, and just like kind of last minute prep, uh, to just make sure you're ready for the race, uh, come race day and you're getting the most out of yourself. Um, so first thing kind of question I wanted to propose, like when, when you guys think about race prep, like, and you're talking with your athletes, how far out do you usually s- recommend starting that preparation process? Again, we're talking like the, the acute process here. Um, but like when do you usually like, and like, you know, expect that, uh, preparation to begin? The short answer is as soon as possible. So many people say when you get up to the race day, you know, don't stress, control the controllables. Don't worry about the things that you can't control. And that's a lot easier said than done when you've, I mean, if you've prepared for those unforeseeable circumstances, then it makes that a lot easier to put into action. So unfortunately you don't realize some of those things until you've gone through these crazy situations. Like, I mean, it can be as simple as taking an extra pair of shoes because I've known some people who have had a boa pop off on a pre-lap. And if you don't have that boa, if your foot isn't locked in place, really? I'll, I'll, I'll never <laughs> use bows again. <laughs> oh, over oh it. wow. Okay. Yeah. But you know, you know, you can't put power down. Um, so if you lose one of those, so yeah, just bringing an extra pair of shoes, just being super prepared for, for anything, um, bring an extra set of wheels with your mud tires on them. Cause it could rain and yeah. Yeah. So how about I'm, you drew? I've screwed this up way too many times. <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is I don't, prep that much i get really focused on a race probably two days out and that probably seems like way less time than needed and that always gets me in trouble because i'm like oh i'll just do that thing to my bike uh you know two days before the race like the thursday before saturday race i'll i'll bleed the brakes and this has happened so many times where i go to do that thing and i'm missing a part and there's no absolutely no way that i'm going to get that part before the race so then i'm either like texting everybody i know for some little part or you know, so I've done that so many times. So, so I think, I don't know if you want to jump to this or talk about it now, but like gear, when it comes to gear and having your bike ready, you probably want to start thinking about that like two weeks out. Cause if you have to order a very specific part, you have to include like shipping time, time to actually put that on your bike and then to test it out before you actually race the bike. So if you're going to do all that, I mean, that's like a minimum of two weeks right there. And that's, that's giving you maybe a couple days to ride the bike before the race. So that's a big one that I've had to learn personally, especially last year running my own cross team and basically working on my bikes solo between races. Um, I messed that up quite a bit. So that's a big one, but, and then, but that's, that's, that's like far out from the race. Um, a lot of, a lot of the other stuff we're going to talk about, I think falls within the two days before a race. At least that's when I start to get really focused. Like that's when I start to clean up my nutrition. Not that I say clean up, like that sounds so oh, wow. bad, but that's when I like am really hyper aware of like, okay, uh, staying away from sodas. I, I, this sounds so bad. I don't drink that much soda, but I'm, I'm hyper vigilant about no sodas like three or four days before. Dude, nothing wrong with the pre-race sodium, man. 
I don't know. I mean, I love doing like a four hour ride and coming home and drinking a soda. Like that's just like, oh, yeah. I love that. But, but I won't do that uh, like three or four days before a race. Cause I'm like, I don't know. So just little things like that. Clean up your diet. Sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hyper vigilant about, okay, now is the time when I need to start from really fueling my body for this race. And so I'm, I, yeah, I'm really like focused on that the two days leading up to the race. Um, even if it's a one hour crit or one hour cross race, I'm still really focused on what I'm eating and keeping that really high quality for the few days leading up to the event and thinking about that stuff. So, yeah. I feel like the three of us probably don't drink that much. I mean, I like a glass of red wine, like once a month with dinner, um, in the summer, more like maybe a nice, hazy IPA or something, but I have friends who are like, yeah, three weeks before a race, I'm not touching it. And I'm like, yeah, like two days before a race, <laughs> but you know what? You might as well, you might as well round up one week, three weeks, because I think people don't realize not only does it impair your performance for the next day, but it impairs your sleep quality that night. And it also impairs your ability to recover adequately following that day's workout too. So. Right. Yeah, I I drink a lot of like NAs for that reason, like kind of get the sensation that you're having a beer, but um, you don't get a lot of the, I guess, negative effects of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's a good one, you know, like, um, you know, save, save the race week beers for the, the finish line or something. Um, you know, that way you're, you're getting good sleep and you're recovering properly. You probably have a key workout that you need to get done. Like that's intentionally inserted in your, your week, uh, leading up to the race. So you want to make sure you're nailing that workout and recovering properly. Um, if it's part of your normal routine, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't deviate from it too much. Um, that's, that, you know, that's something that I kind of try to emphasize with my athletes is like, I'm a personally, I'm a, I'm a last minute guy. Like I, I just wait till last minute for everything. Um, but there are certain things like you just can't wait for last minute. Um, like, you know, like Drew was talking about getting parts, um, or like hydration. You can't just wait till the night before to start hydrating. You've got to be thinking two, three days out to, you know, start topping off on your hydration and carbohydrates and stuff. And we'll get into that a little bit here. Um, but also like, I don't, I don't personally, like if, if I start thinking about my race a week out, my whole mind is just thinking about it all day, every day. And, and it makes the whole week leading up to it stressful, and distracting, um, usually, you know, less productive or, you know, maybe I'm overthinking my workouts or something or overthinking my bike prep, um, and starting to do things that are like out of the norm. So I usually try and tell my athletes like, you know, race week is really no different than any other week other than there are like a few things that I think we're going to get into here that you need to make sure you've got prepped ahead of time that, you know, you can't just show up to the, to the line and not have thought about it all. Um, but a lot of it, like if you can wait until later, then it, it'll just make the rest of the week a little bit more normal and lower stress, um, more focused and kind of, you can compartmentalize that race. Cause ultimately like your fitness is going to come in where it is. Um, but your mindset needs to be in the right space. Um, so, you know, whatever it takes to get your mind in the, in the zone and like ready to race, um, and, and added stress usually doesn't help with that. Um, yeah, I was going to add, we talk about this a lot. I know Andrew has several times saying how so many things are on a spectrum. So it's not like black and white, yes or no, right or wrong. And when you were talking, it made me think like you can't 
go into a race week on the total end of the spectrum where you just pretend like you're not racing because you have to, there are things you have to prep for, but then you don't want to be on the whole other end of the spectrum where you're hyper focused on the race. Cause like you said, I think there is an element of, you don't want to overly, you know, increase your anxiety about this race by thinking about it too much. Like you still have your daily things that you got to get done. Um, your whole, your whole life, I don't think is going to be revolved around this, this race. So I think somewhere in the middle of there is where that healthy balance is. One thing I've learned that has kind of taken some of the pressure off is I understand not everybody has this flexibility with work and it's not, it's. Oh no. Oh, you're muted. We lost her. Caitlin, where are you? Yep. We can hear you. Can you there hear you me? go. <laughs> AirPods. Um, <laughs> It's not feasible for everyone, but at the beginning before, you know, towards the off season, when I'm starting to get race plans together, I just load up the calendar. Um, Yes, I have my A events that I'm really looking forward to, but with local stuff and um, some B priority races, I think just load up the calendar and see what kind of falls into place so that all your eggs aren't in this one basket. Um, and then something comes up, like I had an athlete who was looking forward to this event and just test positive for COVID. And I, you know, there are all these things that can happen. And so if you have another race to look forward to in the foreseeable future, it kind of, it helps. Yeah. So we were, we were talking a little bit before this, so when, when we had initially chosen this topic for this week, it seemed like, oh yeah, there won't be that many things to talk about. Um, but part of that is because, me personally, and I'm sure all of us here, since we're so experienced with racing, a lot of these things come first nature. Um, so, so like you don't even have to think about it. Like it's just like you know you got this stuff you're going to put in your bag. You've got this stuff you're going to look in your bike. You know your hydration is going to start this day. Like it's just it's we've done it so many times. It's become just part of our standard routine, uh, which which is really helpful. And I think that's what you're talking about, Caitlin. Is like when you've got so many events on your calendar that you're using as just preparation events. So those you know. B and C priority events that they're not your total, you know, top of the line A events. Um, you just start to build these good habits around racing and then racing just becomes, you know, that, that a race just becomes another race. You just happen to be coming in with a higher level of fitness, but otherwise like there's not a whole lot that changes. Um, so let's talk about like, you know, a little more specifics here. So let, let's get into like, you know, routines and like specifically like hydration and nu- nutrition. Like what are some things you focus on, on on like the, you know, uh, day to three days before a race that like, maybe it's just part of your standard routine here. Um, but like, you know, that you, you want to just nail these things, hydration and nutrition wise leading up to a, an event. I had three friends in college are these friends in college you, man we're, they, we're happy you they, had those three yes. friends no no but these friends <laughs> they were actually two of them they had three rules these were their nutrition rules and they were track cyclists so they were a different breed we'll say that they had three rules that i heard them say numerous times number one uh darn number one number one calories are gold so, so don't skimp on food. Calories are gold. So I, I think that rule applies a couple of days leading into the event. That's not the time to hold back on, on eating or limit your intake. Uh, number two was protein, protein, protein. So um, I would change that to carbs, carbs, carbs. 
because they were like bodybuilders basically. But I would say carbs, 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 because that's what you need to be fueling before a race. And then their last one was eat when you're hungry, eat when you're full. And you can take that one with a grain of salt. (laughs) But that was their three rules and it stuck with me. But um, for me, it's definitely like, yeah, carbs is a focus, um, whole grains, especially, you know, like the days leading up to the event, the day of the event, I'm focusing more on easy, easy, digestible food. But like the days leading, the days leading up to the race, I'll do whole grain pasta, brown rice, chicken, broccoli, vegetables. Um, I usually don't do red meat. Uh, the only kind of, usually the only meat we do is either chicken or turkey. And, um, so yeah, typical pre-race meal for me would be like pasta, uh, with just like oil and salt and grilled chicken and broccoli. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And then the day of the race, um, I go like crazy. This is not like normal food that you would eat on a normal day. This is race day food. I do white rice with honey mixed in it, peanut butter mixed in it and bananas mixed in it. Um, which is crazy, Dude, you but lost I love me. that. I, Dude, the honey I could do, but man, peanut I butter. I love that, man. Just mix it all up. And rice. Oh, it's so good. It sounds really good. I love it. To be honest, I might have to try. I, that's that. like my go-to pre-race meal. I love it. Yeah. Wow. Unlike Drew, who has to clean up his diet. <laughs> that sounds bad. Uh, we, <laughs> we, my husband and I like eat pretty much the same thing before a race that we do on a regular basis you know the key is don't try anything new in a couple days leading up to a race especially don't try anything new the day of a race and we eat oats religiously every morning um we mix it up so it's always old-fashioned oats and almond milk we're a little anal about it like half unsweet almond milk half (laughs) half sweetened almond milk yeah Um, gotta save those 20 calories (laughs) (laughs) the sugar i guess um and then sometimes did you not hear drew's tip from his track guys carbs 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 bro you're gonna burn that sugar sugars hey on race day just do the sweetened (laughs) 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 um but yeah dinners the night before the race everything we primarily eat plant-based um strict on the no dairy just I feel like growing up, I was never, this is probably too much information. I was never regular. (laughs) And then when I stopped doing dairy, I realized what it was like to be regular. And I was like, wow, this feels so much better. Mm. And then whenever I reintroduced dairy, it's like, I'm not going to the bathroom for like three days. It's horrible. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a bit of an intolerance there. So we just avoid it altogether. Um, And then a lot of anti-inflammatory foods, a lot of greens, a lot of veggies, a lot of fiber in our diet so i wouldn't recommend if you're not used to that much fiber in your diet doing that like trying to switch to a full-on plant-based yeah diet a couple of days yeah i think that's a really good a good point way. i think a lot of people make that mistake they'll they'll think like the two days before like oh i should just eat a few salads um no like if you're if you're not used to eating <laughs> salads all the time uh you know maybe maybe stay away from the the leafy greens in the couple days before the race and keep it simple um what about like hydration? Like, what do you do? You guys do anything unusual for hydration? I'm I'm sure. Like, I mean, we're all elite athletes, so I'm I'm sure we're fairly well hydrated most any day. Um, but is there anything like in particular that you change or make sure you're staying on top of, or do you like? Uh, is there like a certain ritual or routine you have around hydration to make sure you're uh, hydrated before a race? 
This is probably something else that I don't do good at. Um, I found myself oftentimes at the end of the day thinking I probably should have drank more water. Um, but my notes on this would be if you drink coffee, don't not drink coffee on race day. Um, and if you don't drink coffee, then you probably should drink coffee the day of race or some kind of caffeine intake. I think caffeine is a, a legal way to go faster. So like do it, um, whether that's putting it in your drink mix or coffee, I think, I think somebody just a few weeks ago had said we were doing like a, a late night crit. And so I'm like on the fence about do I race with caffeine or not? Because it's going to be hard to sleep that night. And I ended up racing with caffeine and somebody else ended up saying to me like, yeah, it's almost a detriment if you're not racing with caffeine because almost everybody is. And it's such a good enhancing, uh, easy nutrient to put in you. So caffeine, I don't know. If yeah. I mean, may- maybe not, if but. you're like, you've got a late night crit and then a, another race, like some, sometimes some of the mountain bike races, like the Epic rides races would have a Friday night crit. And then last year they switched it up and it was a Saturday morning XC or a marathon race. So like, yeah, 7 30 a.m um like you probably want to get good sleep there but if you're just yeah. doing like a few late night crits mm-hmm. in a row uh you're there to race right i mean you're not right. there to sleep yeah good point <laughs> um so yeah i think caffeine's a good one um and then i do beet juice two or three hours before the race um that i don't do that like every day so that's something i do different on race day if it's worth mentioning i think there's mixed reviews on that but it doesn't okay, hurt you don't do it, it every day like or for your like normal intensity days probably just lack of planning honestly hmm. i should do it on my on my hard days too because it would just enhance those workouts so but it's definitely something i do on race days because it's easy and it and if anything it makes me drink more you know two three hours before the race i'm gonna chug a uh eight to twelve ounces of water that i've mixed this beet powder in mm-hmm. so yeah yeah, same. I recently reintroduced the the beet elite to that concentrated beetroot powder. Um, but yeah, that's a good question. Why not do it every day um, to get the most out of your workouts? Um, another thing I like doing at night is tart cherry mm. juice. Um, it's really good and anti-inflammatory. Um, helps you sleep at night. Uh, so just like a couple of swigs of that before bed. Um, yeah. I'd like to think I'm pretty in tune with my body. So if I feel like I haven't, I'm not super hydrated, I'll be honest, I'll just make a bottle of scratch and drink a bottle of scratch, especially with the heat starting to come back and sweating again. And yeah. Um, and then one thing I really like doing, and I typically do this at night too, is, um, an amino, amino complex, uh, powder made by thorn nutrition and it's, um, just BCAAs pretty much, uh, super important for female physiology. Um, after, after a workout, uh, you need to have enough of the amino acid leucine to free flowing in the bloodstream to pass the blood brain barrier to stimulate protein synthesis. Um, so maybe a little bit of foreshadowing, uh, hopefully coach, uh, Kelsey Devereaux and I will, will do some more female physiology talks. Yeah. And just Caitlin just dropped some science. So you guys probably thought, Oh, Dylan's not here. There's not going to be any science. And Caitlin just dropped a lot of science right on us <laughs> right there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't yeah, do I like, I like that, the tip yeah. about the, uh, like throwing a little scratch mix in there. If you're, mm. you know, if, if you're feeling a little dehydrated, cause, um, just pounding the waters, like eventually that's just going to start going through you. So, 
Um, yeah, and flushing out your electrolytes. Yeah, so making sure you're staying on top of those electrolytes. Um, I'll, I'll usually either like half concentrate with scratch if I'm not training. Um, just don't need all the sugars, but uh, you at least get some of the sodium in, in electrolytes um, and then kind of sip on that. Or uh, I really like just having like the Propel packets around. You just like dump that in one of your bottles. Mm. I, I personally don't like drinking water regularly. I just, I don't like the, the non-existent taste of water unless it's like super ice cold, uh, you know, like out of a bottle or something. Um, but I, I do like drinking fizzy waters. So like a LaCroix or uh, any, you know, knockoff LaCroix, um, usually the knockoffs. <laughs> what do you, what do you get when you throw a lemon in a swimming pool? <laughs> a LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we need to do more jokes yeah i like jokes that was good um yeah we drink a lot of we call them spicy waters but yeah spicy waters waters. spicy waters have you ever Um, have you you guys ever had that uh uh i think it's called it's called element but it's like element powder um they make a they make like a jalapeno raspberry mix that you can put in but you could put that in the LaCroix and it would legit be spicy that. water that would be awesome oh. I actually usually drink which is funny because I, I don't like the non-existent flavor of water but I prefer the flavorless fizzy water so like I just get the natural blue can LaCroix uh mm-hmm. just the yeah the pure yeah like, I just like the carbonation for some reason okay. um I like sugar too much so I get the Izzy's which is like 70% juice. <laughs> I don't like, I don't even like LaCroix. I don't like water and I don't like LaCroix. Dude, you got to so that's get the, why I drink soda. <laughs> you got to get the clear American from Walmart. What is that? It's like a, it's a, it's supposed to be a flavored water, um, mm-hmm. but it actually has like, you know, I don't know, artificial Sugar. flavoring in it. And, and it's like it's super good. It's super flavorful, mm. uh, but it's it's got some chemicals and stuff in there. But it's fine. It's like oh, soda. I love love chemicals. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Um, okay, let's let's keep going here. Getting a little yep. little tangenty. Um, <laughs> let's talk like um, so. Let's talk like race prep. Uh, or sorry, uh, course prep for mm. uh, specific racing. So, what do you guys? What do you guys? personally like to do uh like in the days leading up to a a race um or the day of as far as course preparation goes are you guys like watching youtube videos on the course are you looking at the course profile are you getting out and checking the course out uh it probably depends on the discipline too and maybe the location Mm. and whether you've like raced that course before uh but let's talk about that a little bit yeah, uh, this is really important for cyclocross. If you're if you're taking cyclocross serious, you need to do course recon. Uh, and I say the word recon because it's like you should like it's serious. I tell all my athletes that they should have at least done one or two hot laps on the course, not just riding around with their buddies, pedaling and goofing off because they're not even paying attention to the course at that point. I I make all my athletes do a hot lap or two on the race course because a course rides different at race pace and across course is less than 10 minutes. So it's doable to ride the whole course at race pace and really get a feel for, or close to race pace to get a really good feel for how the turns handle, what parts of the course you're out of gas and stuff like that. Um, things that you 
if you didn't do that, you'd you'd kind of get shocked during the first or first couple races of the lap. So for cross, I think it's super important um, to do it at speed too. For other races, like Caitlin's, well, for cross too, it's it's good to test your equipment at mm, race pace because your yep. tires respond yeah. differently at race pace. So right. you need to adjust tire pressure, pressure or you can switch yep. treads because you're riding at race pace. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think cyclocross probably just as much, if not more than any other discipline, uh, requires a lot of course, you know, recon as you called it. Yeah. And it's easy. I mean, it's all right there. Um, yep. you have the pits, you have a second bike, you can play with pressure. You usually have a and mechanic. It's fun. Like cyclocross is one right. of the disciplines that you can't practice otherwise. Like, there, like there's, yeah. it's hard to practice cyclocross unless you have a course. So like, why not spend yeah. as much time as you can on that course and get some practice in? A little note with that, I'd say try to get try to get as most of that done the day before. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, just trying to eliminate as much stress as possible on the on the um, for race day is important. Of course, if it rains that night, that's going to change your whole prep. So, you know, knowing oh okay, it's supposed to rain tonight, so the course is dry today, but tomorrow it might be muddy. Then it's kind of a you know different ball game. But if it's going to be dry all weekend, try to dial it in Friday. That way, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you don't have as many things to worry about or focus about. Um, but then on crit racing, it's like, it's almost like the complete opposite. Um, I don't suggest this, but all three days of Tulsa tough last year, I did every single event blind. Um, like my first lap of the race was my first time riding the course, which I also don't suggest that was just because at those big crits, it's almost impossible to get on the course. Uh, especially if you're getting there pretty close to your race. Cause the women's race is right before, and you start like lining up for your race, like 20, 30 minutes before the start. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you should at least do one or two laps on a crit course, but it's not as crucial because there's only like usually four to eight turns, you know, in a cross course, there's like a hundred turns in a race. So it's not as much, there's not as much to learn. You definitely want to know where the, where the sketchy parts of the course are, I think for a crit race, but you can do that you can pretty much get that done in three or four laps. So very similar to cyclocross cross country style racing. Um, a lot of variability between the four to six mile courses within there. Um, and the more that you can get done the day before the better, uh, checking alternate lines, cross country is going, um, in a different direction and they're, you're starting to see a lot more technical features, um, some big drops that you want to pre-ride, um, check the go arounds if, you know, you're not suited for that. Um, so yeah. And also a lot of things, like you said, pre pre-ride pace is way different than a hot lap. So seeing how things run, um, at speed. Yeah. yeah again, you know, going back to equipment, um, with, with, with cross-country racing, just, just like with cyclocross, you want to test all your equipment at kind of its limits before the race because during the race, you're probably going to hit some of those limits. Uh, you were talking like last mm-hmm. week you were down in Arkansas and you saw a bunch of uh, racers like exploding their wheels, you know, some, something like that where it's yeah. like maybe in pre-riding they weren't pushing their equipment quite as hard. So they were running a PSI or two, you know, lower than they should have or something. Or may, maybe they just also, didn't hit that line you know, at, at as, as fast of a speed or something. Um, yeah, exactly. You can hit 
align pretty consistently, but then when you're absolutely pinned, are you going to be able to do that? Or if you're riding somebody's wheel, you know, right. Yeah. Uh, making sure your suspension setup is, is dialed as well. And you know, conditions can change and funny, change in your time. Funny story with that at the Fayetteville world cup last year for cyclocross, I was pre-riding and I double rolled my tubulars. Uh, I won't, I won't, I won't embarrass the fool who glued those wheels, but both of those wheels, I, I glued them, but both of those <laughs> wheels came off in one turn. I rolled both tires. Um, I like to think that I'm a good turner and that's why, but I think it's more so because I'm a bad gluer, <laughs> but yes, that's, that's important. I, yeah, that was a bummer that I rolled both my tires the day of a race, but I'm glad I did it in warm up and not during the race because that would have been and the turn that I did it in was the turn coming out of the pit. And so I would have had to run if that had happened during the race, I would have had to run a mile to the pits. And so, yeah, it was a bummer, but I'm glad I did it in warm up, not during the race. And during the race, nothing happened. So it was good. I, I, I used my other wheels that somebody else glued. Still going to use tubulars. What? Are you still going to use tubulars? Yeah, you just got to glue them the right way. <laughs> and now I know how to glue them the right way. I didn't have any issues after that race because I re-glued all my wheels after that. So um, another topic when Caitlin was talking about was features on the course. And, and I think this is important. Uh, you hear people say, like, oh, I'm going to go session this part of the course. And I think that's probably a good idea because there are features, there are parts of the course that, that aren't going to really matter <laughs> like turns that are easy straightaways that are easy, but there are going to be parts of the course that could make or break, you know, maybe you get dropped from the group that you're in, or maybe you drop the group you're in because you're riding that one particular section better than them. And if you can spend a little bit of extra time pre-riding that section and it gains you a couple seconds every lap, just because you have really dialed in that one section, I think it's worth spending the extra time sessioning that 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 particular those particular parts of a course before a race. Um, so yeah, we've talked a lot about lapped races, cyclocross, mm. XC, but what about you know marathon, mountain bike races, or you know long road races? Yeah. So it, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a few thoughts here. So in in part of this is going to parlay into uh, maybe one of the next uh, topics, sub, subtopics we'll get into, but um, knowing where on the course you're going to be getting your opportunities for nutrition. Mm. So especially with mountain biking, uh, and anyone mm-hmm. who's done extensive mountain biking uh, knows that it's a lot harder to eat and drink on the mountain bike than it is on the road. So knowing like what are the flat sections, what are the lower technical sections, what sections maybe have some gravel or like a sustained climb. That's like, you know, you, all those are opportunities that you can get in nutrition. Um, and also forecasting when you won't be able to get nutrition. So, you know, like, okay, there's going to be this 20 minute technical descent. You're not going to take in any calories or or hydration during that time. So you've got to either preload or, uh, you know, make up for it immediately after, uh, also knowing where on the course you can get your, uh, hand ups or, you know, aid stations are, uh, the longer the race, usually, especially with mountain biking, the more aid stations there will be. So figuring out, you know, where on the course, those aid stations are going to be and, and what is your plan going into those? Um, I usually try and have my athletes think about like, they, 
I'm sure you've talked about this, like they, they chunk. We, we think about it in chunks. Um, so if you've got a 60-mile race and there's four aid stations approximately every 12 miles or so, then we break up the nutrition plan based on those four aid stations. We're going to, you know, if, if, if you have to, we're going to stop at all four aid stations. And what are you going to, what are you going to bring going into, uh, each or, you know, exiting each aid station, basically, um, you know, how many gels you can have, how many chews are you going to have, how many bottles you can have, what's in those bottles, um, to try and just get from one aid station to the next, or maybe you've got an athlete who has enough reserves that they can skip an aid station. And that can be tactic, tact, fully, um, uh, you know, a, a strategy where, where, you know, maybe you can drop some of your competitors because they're stopping at an aid station that you're able to blow through. Um, or, or maybe you just, you don't like the nutrition that's offered at the aid stations. Uh, so, so I think that goes into course prep and just understanding, you know, where your support's going to be on the course and also like when, when you're going to, uh, be able to get those, the, those times to, to fuel optimally, um, it, is really helpful. And then, and then also like depending on the, the character of, of racing you're doing and, and, and what your goals are, you want to look at those key features or key aspects of the course w- that are going to benefit you really well so that maybe those are where you like plan your surges or attacks, but also the features in the course that are going to be challenging for you that you know it's going to take a lot of like mental grit and just kind of like hanging on to, to make it through and know that when you get to those sections, it's going to be hard you've prepped for it, you know what's coming so that when, when the the going does get tough, you're still able to hang on. Um, you know, maybe you, maybe you anticipate you might lose a a minute or two on the group or, you know, a few seconds here or there because you just know you're not technically sufficient enough to get through that section. Or maybe you're not a climber and there's a long climb, but you're a descender. So you're like, okay, I'm going to give up a minute or two on this climb, but I'm going to catch back on, on the group with, with the descent or something like that. Um, kind of knowing where your strengths and weaknesses are going to be on the course so that you can like mentally prepare yourself for those. So you're not just like caught off guard, like, Oh my gosh, this section is so hard. I didn't, didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I think the harder you can kind of make the course in your head, the easier it ends up being when you get to that part of the course, um, in reality. I've picked up on this a couple times in gravel races, but if uh, if the people around you start freaking out and like picking up the pace, that usually means something is coming up. Um, this has happened a couple times. Like when I did the BWR San Diego race at like mile ninety, everybody started like rolling in the coals, and I'm like, "Why are we going so fast?" And of course, we turn off the road onto a dirt road, and I'm like, "Oh snap." there's a dirt segment that I didn't know about. That's why they were all going so hard. Um, so, you know, plan off of the competitors around you to figure out maybe like, you know, in a road race, that's super helpful because you've got the whole Peloton ahead of you. So if there's a speed bump, you see everybody kind of do the wave, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, like even in a crit, you can kind of like, if you've got your head on a swivel, you can see, um, parts of the course that are sketchy because of the way the the group is moving. But, I admit I have never downloaded a course onto my head unit and I have every intention to do it, but I just end up never doing it. You don't ever, you don't ever anticipate being like minutes off the front and not knowing where to go. (laughs) I just anticipate that the course is always going to be marked really well. Oh yeah. You cannot, you cannot assume that these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, this is random. I also have an irrational fear that in these long events, I'm going to miss my opportunity to turn in my drop bag. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always make sure that that's in. All right. Yeah. So, so going, yeah. going back to, it's funny you bring up the, uh, running the course on your, on your computer or whatever, like the course route. Uh, one of my like first kind of bigger events of this year was a fat bike race, uh, last month. And I'd never ridden the course. I'd never really ridden any of the, the, the terrain that the course was on. So I, I did upload the, the course route onto my computer and I was following that. And I was off the front by probably like a minute and a half or two minutes and all by myself. And I got to the section where my computer told me I was supposed to turn, but there was like, I don't know, there was nowhere to turn. So like I, I somehow missed it. So like my computer was yelling at me like for like 30 seconds, like you missed your turn. So I like flipped it around, went back to the exact location where it said the turn was. And there was like literally no turn. So I just like was like standing there and I was like, I don't know what to do. So I just like waited for the group to catch back up. And I was like, hopefully these guys know where they're going. And then I just like sat in and they were like, yeah, there's no turn there. <laughs> so, so, so make sure, um, you know, don't, don't just make, make sure the course is right. Um, and it wasn't a problem with the Jeep. It wasn't like the, the, you know, the director's fault or anything like the, there was just something wrong with, with the, the map. Like it just, it, it was like, you know, it wanted me 30 feet over to the right when, uh, I was actually on the right line. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully the course is also marked so that you don't have to rely on your, your computer too. Cause sometimes it can steer you in the wrong direction. I have a relevant story. <laughs> One year at Mohican, this was long before ignition. Me and Dylan were in the same group. <laughs> I was doing the 60 K or hundred K and he was doing the hundred mile, but at Mohican, they start all together, which is pretty cool. I like, I like it when races do that because most of the fast people do the hundred mile, but I don't like doing a hundred miles. So I do the hundred K, but I get to race with the fast people at Mohican. So Dylan was in our group and Jeremiah Bishop had just got off the front. I think I was on the front pulling. Um, Jeremiah was out of sight at that point, but like not far out of sight and we blew past a turn and I think it was kind of my fault. And Dylan never caught back up to Jeremiah Bishop. <laughs> so I don't know if Dylan like remembers that or not, but uh, yeah, that was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really bad about it. That was before we were friends or anything. We just kind of raced each other, but yeah, he doesn't, he's not going to listen to this anyway. So whatever. Uh, okay. So we got, let's see, we got hydration and nutrition covered. Talked about course prep. Drew, you touched on this one a little bit earlier. We can kind of briefly touch on a few things that you want to look out for, but uh, let's hit gear prep. This, think, this can we can like open like Pandora's box with this one. I don't yeah. think we need to. Yeah, um, yeah. Let Let's focus on like what are kind of like the the bare minimum things that you need to check on, you know, or make sure you have with your gear, um, and also like yeah. when to start thinking about that stuff. I think Caitlin made a good point when she was talking about her back back pain. Um, a lot of times that'll happen if you're not used to the bike that you're riding. So if you have a bike that you train on normally and you have a separate bike that you race on, uh, I would start training on your race bike, uh, at least a few weeks, um, before, before the race. So like in the past month, I've been doing every one of my hard workouts on my crit bike. Uh, whereas I have like, I have another bike set up for 
for the road too, but I've been doing it all on my Cervelo. Um, and then once cross comes, I basically put away my road bike and I do all of my workouts. I'll have like a set of road tires set up for my cross bike. So yeah, just getting used to the bike that you're going to be racing. Um, yeah, weeks in advance. Yeah. So, and I think that's helpful in another reason too, with gear prep is you start to get familiar with, uh, like your bike and the components on it and stuff. And you start to notice anything that's wrong with it. You know, maybe your chain sounds squeaky. So you got to like relube your chain a bunch or like if it's worn out, like maybe you check your chain, um, mm -hmm. you know, or brake pads, make sure you're checking your brake pads. But like the more you're riding the bike that you're going to race on, the more you're going to pick up on some of those things where you actually need to buy parts for, uh, mm -hmm. ver versus like, you know, the day before just like lubing your chain. Uh, you want to make sure you're you're really familiar with that race platform so that you can pick up any of those uh, you know small mechanical parts that uh, that you need to replace or fix ahead of time. And if you're not running mechanical, making sure your batteries are fully charged. Yeah, that's like a man. I have so much anxiety around mm -hmm. batteries and uh, electronic shifting. Um, it's only happened yep. a couple of times where I've where my batteries have died, but. Uh, it usually is, is in training. So that's, that's fortunate, but yeah, charge those batteries for sure. Um, what about like, you know, weather, like, right. You want to maybe two days out. I wouldn't pack like a week out because weather changes so frequently. Um, but usually like two days out, you can get a pretty good sense of what the weather is going to be like in the, you know, six to 10 hour window that the race is going to take place. So, um, you know, making sure you've got everything washed ahead of time so that you can pack at least, you know, a day or two before you leave. Um, but checking the weather, making sure you're bringing everything you're going to need. If, if it's any chance of rain, you're bringing one or two rain jackets with you, maybe a few extra pairs of gloves. So if, if they get wet, you can, you know, have a, have a backup, um, plenty of socks, a couple pairs of shoes. Like you were talking about if you're, if your bow is break, well, same thing. If you, you know, like in cyclocross, if you've got a pre-ride the day before or even pre-ride in the morning and it's muddy, you want to have a backup pair of shoes so that while you're, you know, one pair of shoes is, is drying from cleaning them off. You've got a fresh pair of shoes that you can put on before the race. Um, you know, things like that, that you want to just, you know, if you can, if, you, if you've got two of everything, bring two of everything. If you've got room and you've got them on hand, uh, that's usually my go-to. That's part of why I can wait until kind of last minute usually to pack is because I know I've got usually at least two of everything. So I just throw it all in there. Um, I kind of have a checklist that I use and, um, you know, I was just going to say, make yourself a checklist on your phone. Yep. And even though you might think that you will always remember everything, it's, it doesn't hurt to double check that list. Yeah. So, and, and I usually, I have like a template that's like the basics. So like you can't race without your helmet. You can't race without your shoes. Can't race without your bike. Um, like there, there are a few key things that you like can't race without. If you forget your computer, like you're not going to pull out of the race because you forgot your computer. You're just going to have to just not record your data and, and look at your computer. You can get by without that. <laughs> we went, what? We went to Ark. We went to Arkansas and forgot bottles. So we had to go to a, go to a bike shop and buy bottles. And that was just, yeah. Tough. And that could be problematic. If you, you know, if you leave morning of to, to go to your race, you're probably not going to have time to buy bottles. Maybe you can like stop at the gas station and buy some ice mountain, you know, bottles to put in your pocket or something, but they're not going to fit in your bottle cage. <laughs> um, yeah, and the, exactly. The bottles that we did end up purchasing were just like your normal specialized bottles, whatever. But Blaine rides with um, the Elites, the Elite water bottles. They're like super thin, mm. really light, but they're 
wider. Anyway, they just fit his battle cage, so the other ones were slimmer. Oh, no. It was mess. Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> um, a big one these days is through axles. So if you run disc brakes, um, usually with like rim brakes, your skewer stays in the wheel. But with through axles, you've got to take your axle out of the fork and then out of the wheel. Um, and sometimes you just like put it on the garage floor and you put your bike in the car and then you leave without your skewer. Um, I've, I've had it where I've driven to a race like three hours away and my through axle was on my rear bumper and somehow it made it <laughs> like, like, <Whoa. laughs> I don't, I don't know how, but somehow it was still there on the, on the back bumper. Um, and I like went to open my trunk and it was sitting there and I, I just like was beside myself. I couldn't believe I did that. So now like habitually when I take my through axle out and I remove my wheel through axle goes right back in the fork. It's, it's never, I, I never put the bike in the car without the through axle on the fork. Don't forget the front wheel either. <laughs> front wheel. Um, <laughs> I've heard I, of I, that. I've heard I, of people leaving their front wheel at home. I've, I've done that too, actually. Um, <laughs> where I, I, I put the front wheel, like I put it off to the side, like leaned it up against the back of the uh, back of my truck, put the bike in, in the trunk, closed the rear hatch, started to drive away. And I hear something. Luckily it wasn't a crunch. I didn't mm. run over my wheel, but the mm. wheel definitely like fell over. Yeah. And I like look in my rear view mirror and I'm like, Oh yeah, I, sh- I should probably grab that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and like usually I travel with a spare set of wheels if I can anyway. So like that would have been fine, mm-hmm. but I don't usually travel with a spare through axle. I don't even know if I have yeah. one. So that's something that like, if, if, if you don't have a spare of it, you've got to make sure that you, you do not forget that thing. Um, mm. Like helmets are something that it's commonly forgotten. And a lot of people don't bring spare helmets if they're going to like a, you know, one day race or something. So like, it's not usually something that you can just like borrow. So like, make sure, like I usually have a spare helmet in my car and a spare set of shoes in my car just so that like, if I do forget like my main set of, of, uh, you know, helmets or shoes, I've at least got a backup in there. I can start the race. Um, but any, anything like that. Yeah. If you have different glasses, different lenses, cause I hate racing without glasses, but if I have my lenses that are super dark, you know, I'd rather race without them. <laughs> yeah. So having clear di- different, options. I think having a list is key. Yeah. Having some kind of list for sure is going to prevent so much. Like just don't rely on your memory. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's where having those B and C category races uh, really help because you start to just build these good habits. Um, you make those mistakes in one of those races. You're not going to make that mistake again in your A race. Uh, you know, you can, you can get practice with, with building out your, uh, template for your, for your list. Uh, and then you can check it like, maybe you forgot something that wasn't on your list. So now you throw it on there for that next event and you try it out again. Um, yeah, it's, it's super key and, and it's, and it's helpful for when you're packing up at the Airbnb or hotel or whatever too, to like reverse the checklist back, uh, make sure you like didn't leave your, uh, computer charger plugged into the wall or, you know, you didn't leave your spare set of wheels next to the hotel bed. Um, there've been some, some stories like that too, where people forget their stuff at the race. Uh, that's not good either. Yeah. And if you're driving to a race, like you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So if you're driving and you have the space <laughs> pack it, but I mean, maybe if you're flying, you have to be a little bit more particular, or thoughtful about what you pack. But, um, if you're driving, 
just throw it in there, man. You got the whole car. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point about flying. <clears throat> um, something that I, that I do is I have a like toolkit that I that always stays in my travel bag that my like travel case for my bike. That's got like the essential tools. It's got like a spare set of brake pads, a spare chain. Uh, it's got like lube, a, a tire inflator. It's it's got like everything that I would need if like if I just needed to like rebuild my bike and uh, needed something like on race day. It's got everything in it, and that always just stays in my travel bag, so I never have to like repack stuff or forget something. It's just always there. Uh, so if you yeah. do fly a lot for for racing or, or traveling uh, with your bike, uh, it's good to have like a spare kit like that already kitted up for uh, for your travel case. Sweet. So what else? Um, so one thing that I like to do, and I, I try and instill this in my athletes, is thinking about your nutrition plan the day before or a couple days before. Um, again, this you know a lot of my athletes are mountain bikers, so you know they're doing uh, mid marathon, marathon, ultra marathon uh, distance races. Uh, where nutrition is really critical, pretty much anything over 90 minutes, nutrition is like key. Uh, so, so trying to just think through what is your nutrition plan going to be during the race and then laying that out the night before, if you're, if you're, you know, traveling to a race locally and you're, you're driving there the morning of, uh, it's still good to have it just sitting out on your counter the night before, you know, take out that bag of, of, uh, you know, hydration mix or whatever, you know, caloric mix you're using for, for racing, um, your, your gel products, your goos, uh, your bottles, make sure your bottles are laid out. I usually don't recommend like mixing the bottles the day before. Cause sometimes weird things can happen if the mix is left overnight and not refrigerated. And if they're in the refrigerator, you're probably going to forget them. So like just have the mix out and then, yes. you know, you can just mix those real quick the morning of, uh, but, but it's really helpful, especially if you have a, an early morning race and you're staying somewhere, uh, be, be, besides your home where maybe you don't have everything just at your disposal, it's helpful to just lay that stuff out the day before. Um, preferably not at like nine or 10 PM. Cause then you're kind of anxious about it and you're nervous and you might forget something. And also if you had forgotten something at home, you don't have time to run to the store and pick that up. So like, you know, the afternoon, like when, when you get done with your pre-ride and, and you're, you know, kind of making some of your, uh, recovery meal or whatever, you're just kind of lounging around the Airbnb or the hotel, start gathering some of that nu- nu- race nutrition, putting it out, laying it out and making sure you've got everything. Um, you've, you've looked at the course profile where the aid station is going to be, you know, here's what you're going to have for hours one through two and three through four and, and so on. Um, just to make sure you've got everything. And if you do need something, you've got time to run to the grocery store, Walmart or something to pick up whatever, uh, you know, last minute product you need. Yeah. And in addition to fuel on the bike too, I mean, also be thinking about, like you mentioned your recovery meal, because yes, it's a race, but it's your body doesn't know. It's also a training effort. So, uh, be refueling, you know, put out your recovery shake or whatever you, you need. And, you know, stage racing is a whole other beast in itself, but, um, yeah, when you come back after a long stage, after a couple consecutive stages, you know, it just gets harder and harder to gather the energy to cook a meal. And the more you can prep, the better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, You know, I think that is often overlooked is, uh, the fact that a race effort is a training effort for your body. 
Um, and for most people, that's like the hardest training effort of their block. So like you want to make sure you're capitalizing on those training adaptations as well. So yeah, getting proper recovery in and, and if it's not an A event, you're probably transitioning right into a training week in, in the, you know, the days following. So you've got to make sure you're, you're thinking ahead a couple days too. Like, how are you going to feel on Tuesday or Wednesday when the next key workout comes around? Uh, so start that recovery process right away. Um, it's, it's, it's so much easier to just think about that ahead of time and kind of have that forward thinking of like, you know, oh yeah, afterwards I really am going to want that, you know, post-race PB and J. So like make sure that that's prepped and ready. Uh, so that way you're not standing around the the finish line for three hours, drinking your finished beer and realize you haven't taken in any calories and your recovery process is tanking by that point. Mm-hmm. That. I think another year at Mohican, it's funny, that's race games coming out. Another year at Mohican, a guy on my team, an older guy on the team I was on, hadn't eaten anything. And it was like midnight. And mm-hmm. he did the 100 mile race, finished, got his beer mug, because you get free beer after Mohican. And he, all he did was drink beer for, from the time he finished the race to midnight. And I'm like, dude, you're going to die. You need to eat some food. I was like blown away that that was actually, that actually happens. Like people just won't eat food. I'm like, what's wrong with you? That was me my first year. I didn't have the stomach for it Mm. after. Like I said, I was like one of the last finishers to come through and I don't know where this guy finished, but some people don't have it in them to consume anymore. Um, But yeah, not, not ideal. And the next day is probably absolutely ruinous. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So last, last one here before we wrap things up, openers and warmups. This, um, maybe this is an overall statement that I wanted to make sure that I did say, but when I do any for the day of the race, I have a, I have a note on my phone that has like, has my, my race start. Well, it starts backwards, but it has my race finish race, start warm up. Um, food, registration, everything that I have to do the day of the race. And I start, I empty all the, I empty out all the times. And for a certain race, I will put in there. So tomorrow I race at 8.30 PM. So I'll put in there 8.30 and then I'll work everything backwards from there. Okay. 8.30. I need to eat at 5.30. I'm going to do my pre-ride at 6.30 after I, after I eat some food, I need to pin my numbers somewhere in there. Everything that I need to do before I show up to the start line is on this note. So like warm up would be on there. And that's really important for cyclocross because it's like, okay, I know they're going to do call-ups. If I race at 4 p.m., I know they're going to do call-ups at 3.45. So I need to be done with my warm-up at 3.40. And so that means I need to start my warm-up at like 3.20 or 3.10. Um, you, I Don't just like wing it. If you wing it, you're going to end up on the trainer at 3.30 and you're going to have to get off the trainer at 3.40 that's not a good enough warm up. And so, um, mm-hmm. plan these things out like ha- And I use that note almost for every race. Cause I want to, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to go all the way to a race, um, and, 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 and not do your normal warm up and, and not eat the right food and, and forget to bring your shoes. You're like, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like you've trained, you've put in all this time, you've paid for the, you've paid for the race. You have this super expensive bike you're racing, like do everything that you can to show up to the start line, a hundred percent ready to race at a hundred percent of your ability. 
Um, I had so many times, like I was at, at the Marion race, a Texas Roadhouse teammate of mine. We're like an hour before the race. He's not in his kit, which I'm like, why aren't you changed yet? Doesn't have his number on his kit. Cause obviously, um, uh, so he doesn't have his kit on, hasn't penned his numbers. And then he whips out a Jimmy John sandwich out of his backpack and starts <laughs> eating it. And I'm like, I literally said, put that away. You can eat anything. You can't eat that right now. You can have gel. You can have a cliff bar. You really you should have eaten that two hours ago. You probably should have had your cliff bar 30 minutes ago. That is, I'm not, you're not going to barf. You're not going to be on my team and barfing <laughs> in the race. And so I made him put his Jimmy John sandwich in his backpack and somebody else gave him a cliff bar. I'm like, was that just his personality for like everyday training rides as well though? Or I, I don't know, but I was like, dude, you got to show up ready to go. Like professional, have yeah. everything dialed. Um, so yeah. I feel like if you truly love the training process, like it, it just parallels that so much in that, like you just look for those boxes to check, hmm. you know, just like you said, having that list and. Yeah. And some, something like, you know, openers the day before and warmups, hopefully you've practiced that before, you know, you don't just like show up to the race and you're just doing some random brand new warm-up routine. Um, if it's a C event, maybe that is your practice. You're trying to, you're still trying to fine tune what that warm-up routine is. Um, but if it's a B or an A race, like you've got to have that dialed. Like I have some athletes, I, I have a standard warm-up that I'll recommend for most athletes, but then I have some athletes where it's just not enough or it's like too much. So we, we, we fine tune that throughout the season so that when they come to their race, you know, their, their A race, they know exactly what they're going to do. They know what they're like, the sensations they're aiming for to, to feel, uh, they know like maybe there's like a set heart rate, uh, you know, threshold that they're trying to hit during that warm up. And if maybe, maybe if they don't get there in the first, you know, warm up attempt, they, they push it a little bit further depending on the duration of the race. Um, it also depends like on the duration of the race. Maybe you've got an athlete who races multiple disciplines and they've got to have different warm-up routines for each of those disciplines. If it's a short mm-hmm. race, you're probably doing a pretty long, intense warm-up to get started. Um, if it's a really long race, you're probably doing pretty short and just kind of easy pedaling around, just kind of warming up the body. Um, it really does depend on the race. And hopefully you've, you've practiced that or implemented that in a, in a race, you know, lower priority race at some point. Uh, and same with the openers the day before. Some people do really well without doing any openers the day before they can just come off the couch, you know, a full recovery or rest day the day before, and they're ready to go. Other people rely on that opener workout to, to perform well the day after. So you've got to, you've got to practice that ahead of time. Um, we're not going to like tell you here that you have to do openers. Hopefully that's you and your coach, whoever that is to figure out ahead of time and know like, you know, what works for you. Um, but have that routine built in so that, you know, okay, the day before race, if it's a B or an A priority level race, you've got that openers routine or, you know, the day before workout routine, then you've also got that warm up routine dialed. So there's, there's no question. And that really does help go back to what Drew was talking about, where you have that schedule laid out so that you can populate your schedule and know, like, if you've got a 25 minute warm up planned, you've got to schedule that into your, uh, you know, your pre-race plan. So you can one complete the 25 minute warm up um and two you've got enough time to then get to the to the start line maybe maybe the start line is you know 20 minutes from the car for some reason because it's a popular event in a you know middle of nowhere and you've got to like pedal there i don't know but you you've got a plan for that ahead of time 
um, and, and know like maybe or, or cyclocross staging starts 15 minutes before. So you can't just like plan your warm up to finish two minutes before the start time. You've got to plan it to finish 17 minutes before the start time, you know, so it really helps having that schedule. Uh, and that's another thing. Memorize the schedule, the schedule of events for the actual event. You need to know exactly when your start time is. So many times, and and I've been you know falling victim to this too. And it's not you know it's it happens, but like so many times, people are asking like, when is start time? And it's like, dude, the schedule's out there. You just got to find it. You know, I'm sure you got it emailed to you, or it's online, or maybe it's posted on a you know trailer somewhere. I don't know, but you got to you got to you got to know when your race starts because everything works backwards from there. Um, so if you don't know when your race starts, then you have no idea when to start your warmups. Another thing I've noticed being on a team this year with crit racing is, uh, it's very easy to just fall into whatever your teammates are doing. And, uh, sometimes that can be to your detriment. You know, I, I know what kind of warm up I should do before a 60, 90 minute crit. And so many times, uh, the team will just be like, Oh yeah. And we're lollygagging. Next thing you know, we haven't done our warm up, and we're like, trying to do a warm up in 10 minutes. And so, uh, it's really easy to get distracted or be influenced by teammates or friends. And you're there to race your bike. Um, I mean, I know you're there to, to socialize too. Uh, but maybe you socialize after the race before the race, maybe you do your warm up. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you can get intimidated by your competitors too. You know, if you, if you see your competitor and they're like, really opening it up during their warm-up and they're like really pushing themselves super hard you might be inclined to like try and push yourself a little harder too in your warm-up but if you're not used to that or if that's not part of your routine or if you don't have a routine um you know then then yeah you're gonna be you know kind of attempting something new and foreign and that's probably not the best time to do it so having that routine memorized you're putting the blinders on. Once that warm up starts, from the time you hit, you know, start on your computer till the time you hit that twenty or twenty five minute mark, and you turn the computer off, uh, you gotta kind of get in your own zone. Put the blinders on. Put some music on. Whatever you need to kind of uh, just prepare your mind for the race and not worry about anything else around you. And that really only works if you've accounted for that in your preparation and uh, in, in, in your schedule. Um, so you're not scrambling to find a place to do your warm up or uh, you know, you've got your nutrition for your warm up and all that pretty dialed. Bro, last year at the Roanoke UCI cross race. So this is like the opening cross <laughs> race. It was like 90 degrees. And I'm going out for my warm up and I, I go to leave the parking lot. Every one of my competitors, even the guys who are beating me, were on the trainer. And I'm like, it's 90 degrees. Why are you on the trainer right now? Like drenched in sweat, doing efforts in the blazing heat. I'm like, no way. And there was a, maybe a little part of me that was like, should I be doing my warm up on the trainer? And like, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm going out on the road and, cause I'm going to be so much cooler. I'm not going to sweat as much. I'm not going to show up to the race overheated. Like, yeah, I think maybe what happened there was probably Stephen Hyde got on his trainer first. And so then everybody else was like, Oh, I'm going to warm up on the trainer because Stephen Hyde is, you know, <laughs> it's like the, the, the whole social, whatever. Was it purely just trying to stay out of the sun? Like were they under tents? Or? Well, I was going to say know, Steve, Stephen mean, Hyde probably had like still. a fan and a tent yeah. and all this stuff set up where like maybe even that, didn't. <laughs> I mean, even that you're still getting so much hotter 
on the trainer than I think mm-hmm. even if you are in the sun on the road. Um, just because the wind is going to cool you so much more. But that's my yeah, opinion. And, and again, it goes back to like having the race experience. Like mm-hmm. there are times where you do have to deviate. Yeah. And if you haven't had enough experience racing yet, when you do have to deviate or, or knowing when to deviate uh, can be pretty you know, hard to decipher. So um, you've got to be, you know, the, the more prepared you are, the more open and conducive you are to just if something something changes, you're able to kind of go with the flow and not let it affect you too much because um, you you know you've done everything you needed to to prep for uh, for that race that day. Well, I'm gonna drop a little bit more science because yes. you uh, you're talking about the heat made me think of it. Did you ever like on your laps when it was really hot and you were racing toss a water bottle on you? Uh, okay. This is awesome. I want. I was hoping that we'd get to talk about this at some point. But at Roanoke, I, I raced with an insulated bottle with ice in the insulated bottle. So it was like ice cold. And every lap, I on the start finishing stretch, which was like a good 20, 30 second stretch maybe, I was, as soon as I hit the pavement, I'm, I'm, I'm putting as much of that water in my mouth and I would hold it in my mouth for as long as possible to try to, and this is going to sound wacky, and maybe it is, but I had read a book leading up to that race talking about the brain's effect on your body. And so when your brain overheats, it could, you know, that's not good. And so if you can hold cold water in your mouth, it might, it might theoretically cool off your brain and, and help you to your RPE to come down a bit. And so I was doing that and I had a really good race. So your RPE may come down, but I feel like it would have the opposite effect because what I've heard is that once you start doing the water, you have to continue because it's your body has an internal thermostat. And say you have this room in your house that's really, really hot. Well, if you pack ice around your thermostat, is that going to help cool the room off? No, it's going to trick it into thinking that it's cooler than it actually is. So all the internal processes to cool your body are not going to follow. Yeah, through, so I, if that I know sense. that for sure applies with um, like dumping water on your head or your you know squirting on your legs or your back or whatever. It feels super good in the moment. Like it definitely does. Like uh, it does feel cooler for a few seconds. But what you're doing there is you're actually uh, artificially Actually, inducing yeah. uh, evaporative cooling. And in the process, you're tricking your body into thinking that it doesn't need to produce its own perspiration to, to induce the uh, evaporative cooling. So, yes, yeah, so your body's mechanism for producing perspiration will actually shut down because it's going to use that resource for something else. Like, okay, now I can focus back on, you know, uh, processing what's in the gut because I don't need to perspire, perspire anymore. Um, so that's, that's where, you know, like where it can actually have the adverse effect. And yeah, once you do, like, you've got to just keep, keep dumping water on. So like, you'll see it. I mean, I mean, sometimes you just have to though, like your body's, if you're not heat adapted, your body's just not producing enough perspiration to induce the evaporative cooling that it needs to stay cooler. Uh, but if you're, if you're feeling good and you're like, you want to stay in the race, sometimes you need to have that artificial coolant. But if you're going to do that, you just have to know, and, and you'll see it a lot of times, like in world cup racing, uh, every time they come through, they're, they're every time they're having to, once they start they're they're just dumping the water on their, uh, on their head or whatever. Um, and a lot of times they'll, they'll, you know, if you watch the first few laps, they're maybe not 
grabbing that bottle and hanging on to it. They're just taking a few like sips and then throwing it to the side. But later in the race, they'll actually grab that bottle and put it in their cage because they know they've got to keep dumping it on themselves throughout the rest of the lap. Um, so yeah, you got to be careful with that for sure. Uh, and that's where I think heat adaptation does come into play. The more heat adapted you are, the sooner you're going to start perspiring or sweating. Um, and the sooner you start sweating, the more effective evaporative cooling is. And so that, you know, that's why like a lot of times if you're, if you're coming out of a, a cooler environment and you go somewhere warm, you might not actually sweat, uh, until, you know, 20, 30 minutes into that effort. Uh, cause your body's just not used to, uh, I don't know, inducing that mechanism. We're in the weeds. We are in the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll blame it on Caitlin. The reason this episode is so long is because it's Caitlin's fault. Dude, you know what Dylan's going to say. <laughs> it's my fault. I know. <laughs> That's why I'm blaming it on Caitlin. <laughs> um, cool. Well, this was awesome. Um, coming into this, I, I kind of expected that it would be a little bit more just kind of conversation based. And um, I love that we like had so many different personal anecdotes to bring into this and uh, a lot of overlap too. And, and part of the overlap is just from the experience that we all have with racing. Um, but yeah, this has been awesome. Caitlin, I hope to have you back on the show another time. Uh, it'd be great to get some more female present uh, on here. So um, yeah, we've got another female coach, Kelsey, who we might have on and do a female specific show. So if you're listening and you're a female or you, you've got, you know, you're just curious about uh, female specific training. Um, let us know if you want to, if you want to hear an episode like that, I'm sure we'll have these, these gals back on at some point. All right. Thanks guys. We'll, uh, we'll cool. catch you soon. Sweet. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast. Like I said, at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title, the matchbox podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Let's go!